Welcome and thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship, where we believe that you make a difference one life at a time. Today's topic, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, uh, the aim or goal of these podcasts is to share biblical principles and precepts that we trust will be a benefit to you in your life and in your ministry. So today's topic is exercising godliness. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, in the Living Bible, the Apostle Paul says, Don't waste time arguing over foolish ideas and silly myths and legends. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Verse 8, bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important and is a tonic for all that you do. So exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because that will help you not only in this life, but in the next life, eternity as well. Exercising ourselves to be spiritually fit means that we train ourselves to respond spiritually and not react naturally to the world in which we live. The good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly things of life. The word exercise is the Greek word gymnazo, which means to train the body or the mind. Gymnazo is where we get our English word gymnastics or bodily exercise. Bodily exercise, Paul says, is all right. But what he is teaching here to Timothy is that we need to learn how to exercise ourselves in spiritual matters. Paul further acknowledges the the requirement to exercise himself in spiritual matters as he says to the church at Philippi in chapter 3, verse 12, I'm trying to apprehend that which has apprehended me. In the Living Bible translation of Philippians 3 and 12, Paul says, I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Then in verse 13 and 14 of Philippians 3, Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm trying to apprehend that which has apprehended me. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's exercising himself in spiritual matters. Paul is exercising his mind and his body by the effort and discipline of reaching forth by pressing toward the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. In the New King James Version of 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, Paul says to the church, I discipline my body and bring it unto subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul's declaration here is an exhortation to exercise control over our bodies, which is the process of self-denial. Jesus instructs his disciples in the Passion Translation of Luke 9, beginning at the 23rd verse, when he says, If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will embark on a discovery of more and more of true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. The word body in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 
is translated as soma, which is also a synonym for flesh. Paul controlled the appetites of his body, of his flesh, rather than the appetites of his body or his flesh controlling him. In Galatians 5 and 17, the Bible reminds us that the things our old selves want to do are against what the Holy Spirit wants. The Holy Spirit does not agree with what our sinful old selves want or desire. These two are against each other. So you cannot do what you want to do. The expression that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, I discipline my body, carries the idea of to give give one a black eye or bruise. In the arena of Paul's day, boxers wore gloves consisting of oxhide bands covered with knots and nails loaded with lead and iron. And to prepare for such an event, a man would have to be prepared to endure all forms of physical abuse. Paul used this analogy with the church to communicate the lengths and depths necessary to discipline or keep his body in subjection. If there is no commitment to this process, it is possible that a person may not pass the test of service unto the Lord and might be rejected from obtaining the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul further recognizes the possibility that having preached to others, he himself might might be disqualified. Therefore, Paul says literally that he beats back his body and his cravings to bring it unto subjection. The word subjection means to enslave, to lead about as a slave. Paul further underscores this concept of spiritual exercise in the amplified version of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at the 25th verse, declaring to the church, now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, like shadow boxing, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as being unfit for service to the Lord. To the church at Rome, Paul confesses in the seventh chapter and the 18th verse in the Amplified Version, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity, for the willingness to do good is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Paul says, my flesh, my physical body, my human nature, this is what I have to discipline. This is what I have to exercise authority and dominion over. In Romans 7 and 21, Paul says, when I want to do good, the word good in this passage means better, honorable conduct that deserves esteem. Paul says, when I want to do good, I can't because evil is always present before me. When you take the word evil and spell it backwards, E-V-I-L-L-I-V-E, it means living backwards or living without God. When I want to do good, I can't because evil. I'm living backwards without the power of God operating in my life. So Paul states in the 24th verse, O wretched, miserable man that I am, 
Who shall deliver me? Who shall rescue me from this body of death or the desires of my flesh? Then in verse 25, in the Passion Translation, exercising his faith, Paul gives the answer, I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. In other words, Paul is saying by exercising his faith, exercising godliness, exercising his spiritual maturity in God for today and every day. My body, my flesh does not control me. I control my body by confessing and possessing the promise of a renewed mind submitted to God's righteous principles. Therefore, God says to Paul in Romans 8 and 14, they that are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. Paul preached this same message in essence to the church at Galatia. In the fifth chapter, in the 16th verse, Paul says, This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word walk means to live, to act, to keep on walking continuously. Paul says, if you do not want to fulfill the lust of your flesh, you got to walk in the spirit. Well, how do we walk in the spirit? Paul provides the answer beginning at the 22nd verse of Galatians chapter 5. We walk in the spirit by exercising the behavior, character, and conduct of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. This is how we bring our bodies under subjection of the nature and character of God, which includes controlling our tongues. The tongue has no bones, but is strong enough to break a person's heart. A broken bone can heal, but the wound of a thoughtless, insensitive, insensitive word opens up wounds and sores that can fester in a person's life forever. King Solomon, in the Passion trans Translation of Proverbs chapter 12, beginning at the 18th verse, says, Reckless, careless words are like the thrusts of a sword, cutting remarks meant to stab and to hurt, but the words of the wise soothe and heal. He goes on to say in verse 19, truthful words will stand the test of time, but one day every lie will be seen for what it is. In the Passion Translation of Proverbs 18 and 21, Solomon says, your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life and the talkative person will reap the consequences. In other words, sometimes we just need to K-Y-M-S, keep your mouth shut. If you don't have anything good or God to say, don't say anything. Jesus himself declares in Matthew 12 and 36 in the New Century Version, I tell you that on the judgment day, people will be responsible for every careless thing they have said. The Message Bible says there will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation and words can also be your damnation. Regardless as to what a person's title, tag, or position may be, if you cannot control your tongue, that person is spiritually immature and they need to grow up. So the writer of Hebrews chapter 5 and the 14th verse teaches us strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised 
to discern both good and evil, the ability to discern what's right and what's wrong. The International Standard Version of Hebrews 5 and 14 says, but solid food is for mature people whose minds are trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer is speaking of developing spiritual maturity by exercising or training by practicing what we preach. Whatever job or occupation we have, there had to first be a period of training or practice before we could operate effectively in that job. The writer is further stating that developing spiritual maturity includes the training of the believer's mind to respond and not react to the challenges of life. A mind that is trained in it by the word of God is a transformed mind, a renewed mind, capable of thinking soberly, as noted in Romans 12, verses 2 and 3. Training is another word for exercising. A transformed mind, a renewed mind, is a sober mind, able to discern good from evil, right and wrong behavior. So Micah 6 and 8 says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, further indicating what's good and what's God. David, the man after God's own heart, in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, in the New International Version says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Guide me in your truth and teach me your paths. We don't know what season this was in David's life. We don't know if he was on the run from Saul in the cave of Adullam or from the attempted coup from his son Absalom. But what we do know is that there was a crisis in his life and David acknowledges to God that he didn't know what to do. And when we are honest with God, there are times in our lives when we just don't know what to do. In seeking God's ways, David was seeking God's will for his life. The word show in Psalm 25 is also translated as make me to know. It is a form of the Hebrew word yada, which emphasizes knowing personally or intimately, knowing by experience. David also asked God to teach him his past. The word teach means to cause to learn. This particular word speaks more of training than educating. You can be educated and still not have learned. It is not as much about imparting knowledge as it is about teaching to follow a course of action. From this word teach, the Hebrew word for ox gold is derived. The ox gold was used to prick the ox when it strayed from the path. And it is important to grasp what David was truly seeking here. Straying from God's righteous path had created a crisis in his life. And David asked God to teach him how to stay on the right path, God's path, the path of righteousness and obedience. In a sense, David asked God to use his crisis as an ox gold, that its painful pricks would keep him from departing from God's path ever again. David longed to live in obedience to God's command. In this season of David's life, he was exercising, being trained to respond in faith to his crisis and not react. What this means for you and me is that even in a crisis, God will show us his ways, guide us in his truth, and teach us. Even when we don't know what to do or are mystified and wonder why bad things happen to God's people. Well, the reality is bad things happen to all people. We can turn on your local nightly news and, and, and they inform us of natural disasters, shooting and violence, kidnapped children. Who would have ever thought that on January 6th there would have been an 
insurrection in our nation's capital by American citizens. That's not good news. King Jehoshaphat undoubtedly was mystified and perplexed when he got the bad news in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that there was a coalition of three armies that was coming against him and the people of God, not just to enslave them, but to annihilate them, to wipe them out. Jehoshaphat, exercising his spiritual maturity and faith in God, called the entire nation to a time of prayer and Oh, what we understand is 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and then will I heal the land. Jehoshaphat understood this promise from God. So he called the entire nation to a time of prayer. As Jehoshaphat concludes his prayer, he says to God in 2 Chronicles 20 and 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In this confession, Jehoshaphat knew that the nation was in trouble, but he expressed a total trust and reliance upon the Lord, looking to him and him alone for deliverance. There's an old song that we learned a long time ago that says, if you call on Jesus, he will answer prayer because God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. When trouble comes, you and I are never alone because the Lord our God is omnipresent. To be omnipresent means there is nowhere God is not where his knowledge and power does not extend. God is present everywhere at the same time. David said in Psalm 139 and 8, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. There is never a time or a place where God is not there. We are never alone because God is already, is always there. In the King James Version of our primary text, 1 Timothy 4 and 6, Paul says to Timothy, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, Whereunto thou hast attained. The word attain means follower, to keep on following, going the same way. The Passion translation of this verse says if you teach the believers these things, you will be known as a faithful and good minister of Jesus, the anointed one. Nurture others in the living words of faith and in the knowledge of grace which you were taught. The proof of a faithful and good minister. Exercising spiritual maturity is one that follows and keeps on following, teaching what he or she has been taught. A faithful and good minister, nourished up in the words of faith, teaching what they have been taught includes training our minds not to obey our feelings or our emotions. Some people only move and do things on the basis of how they feel. Some people will move with the crowd instead of moving with the cloud. God told Moses, I'm going to give you a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Some people move with the crowd based on their food, based on their feelings, and they don't move with the cloud. For you and I, we want to always move with the cloud, the representative of God's presence with us always. Some people only move when they based on how they feel. But no, we must exercise train our bodies and our minds to operate and step out by faith, obey what God says, 
and not be governed by our feelings. When we live our lives based on what we feel, this contributes to spiritual anemia and weariness because of what we feel. Jesus never used the word feel, not one time. Does the Bible ever hint or suggest that we serve him based on how we feel? Jesus told his disciples in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God, not in your feelings. Don't let the devil play you by allowing him to play with your emotions or how you feel. What this one said or what this one did. Yes, God knows that it hurts because it hurts you. But don't allow the devil to play you based on what somebody said or did to you. Because our emotions seek to govern us instead of allowing the Lord to govern us. And our feelings are just like the wind. They come and they go. But when Paul said, Timothy, you have been nourished up in the words of faith, which are words that give you power. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words translates nourished as trained, educated, and mature. In other words, Timothy's source of power is a good minister. Exercising his body and mind to operate in spiritual maturity is what he had been taught and matured in by faith in the living God. In 2 Timothy 3 and 5, Paul further testifying of Timothy and that from a child thou hast fully known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. The word salvation in this verse can also be translated as escape or rescue. To be wise unto salvation, to rescue or escape through faith. The plots, ploys, and plans of the enemy is a sign of a spiritually mature man or woman of God. To be wise unto salvation means I'm spiritually mature enough to apply the knowledge of God to my circumstances. Knowing that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore in all that I'm getting, I'm getting an understanding. And what I understand is that faith can change facts and faith can change that. Whatever trauma or drama I'm going through, whatever I may be feeling, I have a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace and the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. And after my counseling session with my wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace, how do I stay in the increase of his government, his guidance, his direction, where there is no end to his peace in my life? It's by exercising, training my body and mind to operate in spiritual maturity under the warranty and authority of my counselor's protection and guidance. So God says to us in Psalm 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. A spiritually mature man or woman of God has their trust in the Lord, not in man because man will fail you. But when you trust in the Lord, God is the one that will always provide the way out the way over and the way through. And in, and Paul says to us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts or minds of those that love him, of the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Oh, that's the place of spiritual maturity where there is an expectation, a demonstration of the Spirit's power because you have learned consistently and constantly to keep your body under subjection where you are exercising yourself in all godliness 
profiting by spiritual maturity. Paul in our primary text, 1 Timothy 4 and 8 says, bodily exercise profits a little bit. One CNN report says that the fitness industry is worth about $94 billion. Television commercials, billboard ads are all a part of marketing bodily exercise. And there's no harm in physical exercise, walking, running, swimming, whatever your exercise, your favorite exercise is. But Paul's point is that we need to exercise ourselves for the sake of spiritual maturity growing up. When we do not exercise our sake, ourselves for the sake of spiritual maturity by praying, regular attendance at church, serving in, a, in an auxiliary, the giving of our tithes and offering over a period of time, we become more and more malnourished, spiritually anemic in the will, the ways, and the word of God. Therefore, Paul says, Timothy, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, spiritual maturity, is profitable in all things. An Olympic athlete exercises their bodies many hours throughout the day. How much energy, effort, time, and dedication does an Olympic athlete put into exercising and training? Well, the sport that they exercise for or train for is their life. The dream that they had as a little child to go to the Olympics, represent their country, win a gold medal, the sport that they exercise for or train for is their life. This is Paul's point. Godliness is to be our life. All our effort, time, and dedication is to be given over to godliness, making our lives profitable in all things, profitable carrying the meaning of benefits and gain. Spiritual benefits can only be exercised through a life of dependence on the Spirit and God's Word. Spiritual maturity is godliness, and godliness is spiritual maturity, where we become more and more like God every day of our lives. And as we exercise ourselves, train ourselves to respond like Christ spiritually and not react like the world naturally, you and I are making a difference in the world in which we live, and you make a difference one life at a time.